0: It's time to check your money with America's Money Maven, Vicky Brackens. Vicki Brackens is the president of Brackens Financial Solutions Network, LLC, and a registered representative of LPL Financial member SIPC. Vicky, we have a special guest in the building.
1: Well, George, it's it's becoming what I would call an an incredibly important habit for us to have Assembly member Pamela J. Hunter who's with the Assembly District 128 here in New York, as our guest. I'm gonna start making this maybe like a every six month kind of visit for her because uh, to hear from her and exactly what's going on within the state legislature, particularly in the area of banking and insurance, uh, uh, gives us a good overview of what we can expect and how we should react to some of the economic changes that are happening. But for those of you who are not familiar with Assemblymember Pamela J. Hunter, She is the uh, chair of the New York State Banking uh, Committee for the uh, New York State Assembly. She is from upstate New York, served in the U.S. Army, honorably discharged with commendation medal and two achievement medals. Uh, She has professional certifications in human resources. uh, And her district includes the near west and eastern portion of the city of Syracuse and the surrounding town of DeWitt, Onondaga, and and, uh, Salina. Prior to her election to the New York State Assembly in 2015, uh, Assemblymember Hunter served as the Syracuse Community Council on the Syracuse Community Council for three years and chaired the Public Safety Committee. Well, thank you again okay, for joining us. Well, I got you one have more thing to say a-
0: about that. One more thing.
1: What's that? She's my assembly person. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I forgot to say that again. Go ahead, George. It's- she is George Kilpatrick's assembly person.
0: Yes. Now right. we can
1: move We're good now.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Uh, it's been a really busy year for you and for the committee. Uh, I would imagine so because we, we've lived through four interest rate hikes in 2023, going from 4.5% to 525 In fact, today, the um, Federal Reserve announced that they were not going to, at least at this segment, raise interest rates. But what I have to ask you, first of all, is when rates go up or change, does the Federal Reserve send out a notice to the banking committee and the banking community on what they're getting ready to do? Uh, they They may
2: send it to the regulators. Um, okay. but I am a legislator. <laughs> so they're definitely not sending that information to me. Um, but based on the conversation I have and continual conversations I have with our regulator, which is uh, the the superintendent at the Department for Financial Services, I was aware uh, that they probably would not be hiking, at least now, um, and some other issues obviously affecting the banking area. So we keep in, in close contact and my staff you know, really monitors what's going on in that banking sphere, uh, because as legislators, we don't always get the information directly from, you know, the feds, um, you know, and our oversight is state chartered banks, but obviously it encompasses everything that has to do with money and that affects my constituents. So we wanna make sure that we're well-educated about what's going on.
1: Okay, well, listen, I, I wanted to ask, it was a little bit of a trick question, but when you were with us before, You explained the difference between state chartered banks and national banks, and and so I wanted to be sure that we touched a little bit on that subject again. So if you wouldn't mind, could you do that once again?
2: Yes. So as far as oversight is concerned, you're looking at uh, federally chartered banks. That would be your big banks like J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, uh, state-chartered banks, and state-chartered banks actually can be federally chartered if they want to. But uh, state-chartered banks would be like your local community banks uh, in the Syracuse area or uh, in the Capital Region. It could be like NBT Bank, Pathfinder Bank, Community Bank, uh, mid-sized banks, and those banks really are the you know, foundation for lending in our communities. If you're talking about small businesses, if you're talking about home loans that aren't um, provided mortgages like online, like Rocket Money or Quicken and and places like that, Uh, they're places where people do um, personal banking, uh, small personal loans. Those are kind of the foundation for developments in our community and state charter banks have oversight and regulation by New York State. Uh, federally chartered banks basically can do what they want uh, without oversight from uh, the state government, and they have oversight, obviously, from the federal government. But there is regulation, FDIC um, and other governmental agencies that do provide guidance that all banks obviously have to abide by.
1: So touching a little bit on that statement that you made concerning state chartered banks having regulations that are driven by by the state charters when interest rates go up do you have or does the banking commission have any say in how much the bank can respond to interest rates going up no no and
2: they could respond, not by way of saying those rates are instituted, but what they could do, uh, and this is some of the conversation that we're having today, especially with commercial lending, is saying, you know, we want to work with you. We want to be able to find a way to make sure that your loan doesn't get into default. So maybe we're going to extend the loan in a different way. We're going to, you know, work within, you know, parameters in a different way to make sure that um. The businesses, you know, stay, you know, solvent. I, I, I guess, and in, in some ways, um, uh, they're the the first line of defense. These 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 banks to make sure that our businesses remain solvent, don't go, you know, into default. So even if interest rates go up, they could, you know, help commercial loans or people who have loans to say, let's like rework, you know, the loan. The concern, especially with raised interest rates and inflation, and this is what we're talking about now is and what may happen with the feds if they raise the reserves um, and and asking banks to have increased capital reserves Mm -hmm. is if that happens and the reserves increase for the banks that might decrease lending. If banks decrease lending, that means you and I are not gonna be able to go to the banks and get the money that we need for the mortgages. Maybe examiners would say we're of good risk now, but later maybe not of good risk. So those are things that we have to monitor because we need money circulating in our communities.
1: Okay, so now you you touched on so many things there, trying to pull (laughs) a few things back. It was incredible to really hear how intertwined These decisions are so that because we talk about this all the time. The fact that these decisions are intertwined, it's not just standalone uh, uh, operations. So, if interest rates go up and the reserve required to keep banks solvent also goes up, then the amount of money you're saying that the amount of money that's available for lending in a community which is driven. Primarily by community banks, by banks under the state charter, will decrease. And that decrease could cause there to be less money available for business operations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Correct? Yes.
0: And, okay. the it, and, and yes, the that money could that
1: happen. Is? That doesn't mean. It's necessarily going to happen. Going
0: to
2: happen. Okay. But it could happen. And this is just talking about liquidity, making sure that banks have enough actual money, cash money that they have in reserves. um, And that means if they have to keep it, they can't lend it because they have to keep it locked away in the bank um, uh, per statute.
1: Okay. George, you were about to ask a question?
0: My question was going to be whether or not that meant that if for the money that is available, would we have to pay more for it?
1: Potentially, yeah. Potentially, okay. Okay, absolutely. Now, um, this relationship between reserve and how much is available to lend, is it a dollar to dollar relationship? It may not be. Um,
2: If we were talking about cryptocurrency, uh, then it would have to be actual dollar to dollar. But that is not generally the case um, relative to to reserves. I think it goes by risk. They look at uh, different factors, what the debt ratio portfolios that different banks carry, you know, how do they, um, what their portfolio looks like, how many home loans do they have, how many commercial loans do they have, how many personal loans do they have, uh, to make sure that that ratio looks correct.
1: Okay, so so the the key word though, is ratio. so it it really is not we have to have in the bank vault. And I know this is not the case that they keep all the money in the vault, but that's the conception that we have the bank vault, we have a hundred million dollars, so we can only lend a hundred million dollars. It could be uh, three hundred million dollars x based on the type of lending that's that's necessary.
2: well, all right. and and they know. normally lend more than actually the amount of actual cash that they have. That's how it works.
1: Exactly. Okay. There is a absolute ratio and it's never just the cash that they have. So now you you mentioned, and we'll come back to that magic word that you said, cryptocurrency, a little bit later. But also one of the things that I'm sure has kept you busy over the last year or last several months has been the fact that we had four bank failures this year, big ones. Um, Three of them domiciled primarily in California. But the fourth was here in in New York state, Signature Bank. Uh, Now with Signature Bank's failure, once that happened, how does your committee get involved? Or was there anything before that happened that you knew about or that you were involved in as far as the banking commission or the state of New York?
2: Yeah, so similar to what happened with Silicon Valley, I was actually in California when that happened. I think we talked about that when we last Mm -hmm. spoke. Um, But similar to, and all of this happened, you know, pretty much around the same period of time with Signature. While it was happening, my office, me personally, was having on, you know, ongoing conversations with uh, the Department of Financial Services, the Governor's Office. What does this look like? Um, Does there need to be legislation? Um, Are consumers protected? We had people calling the office saying, "Is my cash?" safe? Is it okay to keep my money in the bank? And that was one of the biggest concerns to make sure that people remain calm and that the information was very clear because banks didn't want to have bank runs where people run to the bank and literally take out all their cash from the bank. Um, And that was with some of the issues that they had in California is that they didn't have the liquidity. They didn't have the money in the bank to cover all of the people who wanted to take their money out.
1: So so beyond um, actually... Uh, what happens as far as the reaction in the immediate aftermath, say 24, 36 hours or so? Is there anything else that that your department gets involved in or had, had to get involved in concerning uh, backstopping or keeping the banking system running smoothly in the state of New York? There's nothing
2: legislatively that we needed to do, but we worked um, very consi- consistently with the department, Um, we had several elected uh, leader conversations with the department. So people were aware of what was going on, what the department was doing with the federal government to make sure people's deposits were protected. um, And if there needed to be anything that we needed to do and, you know, to look at what was happening, because maybe there needs to be safeguards and uh, potential legislation in the future to make sure things like this don't happen again. Um, I think the department's done a very good job in trying to especially work with the, the feds. Um, they put together strong, at least in the cryptocurrency side, strong regulation to protect consumers. And I think relative to, to some of these bank failures, uh, you know, working with the examiners to make sure they have appropriate reserves. Um, looking at the mix of their debt credit ratio, what kind of risk are they taking? You know, and a lot of the risk was relative to 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 cryptocurrency, and um, that proved to be uh, not wise uh, as far as their 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 debt ratio mix.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make my big disclaimer, which I always have to say. And this next subject that we're going to talk about this 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 next subject that we're going to touch on is not an indication of an investment or investment advice, but I do want to be sure that we actually um, talk about your most recent uh, uh, committee investigation uh, and testimony that came through concerning the cryptocurrency industry. And you, I believe, in May you had uh, the industry come in and, and the banking industry uh, uh, come in to talk about. Transparency and the understanding uh, concerning the cryptocurrency in, uh, industry. What did you learn from from that um, from that uh, investigation? Um, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. If you, you
2: know, recall when Mm -hmm. cryptocurrency first started, this was something that people put together that was supposed to be outside regulation, that it was supposed to be a way for me and you to share money without the whole regulatory process of money. Well- that's not happening now. And what we want to make sure is that there are safeguards. New York has some of the strongest crypto cryptocurrency uh, uh, regulation in the country. And that's important because if you see companies like FTX, where they were selling a Bag of goods, and they didn't have the money to back it up. Lots of people lost a lot of money. Well, a lot of people in New York didn't lose a lot of money because it was never licensed in New York. And so that's why we have protections that you can only buy uh, in New York uh, what's licensed in New York. And there are safeguards if you go on a VPN, if you are trying to buy crypto and you live in New York uh, for companies that aren't licensed. They're always examining, they're on the blockchain, they're looking online, monitoring. What's a VPN? Outside What's a VPN? The uh, encrypted internet, essentially, oh, where okay. you can go online to instead of just, I'm on Google and let me just look up um, a way for you to be able to, to kind of bypass, um, uh, like kind of like a not dark web, but a, a different kind of internet encryption way to be online. And um, they're able to. And and people have these in their homes, and they and they have ways to bypass the mainstream way that people utilize the internet. And we want to make sure that if you're in New York and you're doing that, you're protected, especially if you're trying to buy crypto from an unlicensed um, uh, virtual currency provider.
1: Okay. So when when we get to the issue of of um, you said we have a lot to do, a lot of work to do. What stage are we in? If you can kind of explain. If you had to say like we're mid-range of something happening or have we decided in New York that it's always going to remain an unlicensed, where, where are we in the thinking?
2: Well, some of the problem is um, we're right in it, you know, the superintendent and the, the folks at DFS, you know, I have, like I said, we have some of the strongest regulations, um, but with cryptocurrency comes a lot of of risk and that comes with financial literacy for folks, you know, you can go on an app right now cash app and some other apps and actually buy Bitcoin. You can buy cryptocurrency. Is that the right thing for you to do? Is it the smartest thing for you to, you know, to be doing? Um, that there is, it's right for people to um, lose their money if they aren't protected and they don't understand Um, You give away your password and somebody gets it, your money's gone. There is no way for you to get your money back once it gets stolen with crypto. This isn't like someone taking your credit card and, um, you know, you're only liable for 50 bucks. And so we want to make sure that money isn't being laundered. We want to make sure that they're not using this cryptocurrency for human trafficking. So a lot of things that um, need protections, that we have strong protections. And it's an emerging market. It's an emerging business in New York. There are not a lot of um, crypto businesses because it takes a long time to get a, a license and it's expensive. And that's some of the the um, concerns that some of the the providers have is like, why is it taking so long for me to get a license when in other states you can easily you know just start doing business? And it's for consumer protection. We want to make sure that, you know, I'm not the owner and I'm trying to sell something and then all of a sudden there's not enough money to go around and people are losing a lot of money. That There's a conflict of interest. We want to make sure that I am a company that's above board and I'm doing everything that's supposed to. And that takes time. Time means manpower, resources for people to be able to. Examine a company's governance. Examine, you know, if a company really has all of the resources that it says that it has in order to be a, a viable uh, a business in New York, and, and you know that, that takes time and it's very expensive.
1: Well, okay, I'm going to I'm going to take uh, tip my hat to you because I know how difficult it can be when something is popular. Okay, and there's a lot being written uh, because we get to read news across the country. Um, the fact that New York State is standing strong on making sure that there is full investigation and regulatory protection for consumers is extremely important, and I thank you for doing that. Here's the second the second subject that is very popular that uh, we want to make sure. Be- yes.
0: But be- be- before you continue, Vicky, I want to say, and if people have been listening to the show, you explained the whole blockchain Chain. Uh, thing two anyway. years ago. Yes. So okay. if they've been regular listeners of the show, you have been uh, keeping them informed.
1: All right. So this, the, thank you, George. Thank you very much for reminding them. Okay. But okay, this, the second question on, on things that are popular that I'm sure you're getting some pushback on, but we, I, I want to make sure we understand how this economic issue flows into the banking issue. And that is the legislation and dispensing of cannabis. The question is... How does the Banking Committee and New York State, since we now have licensed cannabis in New York State, reconcile this with federal law?
2: It's very difficult and we had a, 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 a hearing about this and if you hear from the banking community, especially those banks that do not bank cannabis businesses, even though it's a legal business in the state of New York, they will tell you that they cannot do it because it's not uh, allowed by the federal government, and they have the concern that the heavy hammer, of the federal government, is going to come in and you know shut them down or give them a, a whole bunch of fines because they're banking something that is not regulated and a um, it's a class one narcotic with the uh, the feds and it's it's e- illegal at the federal government. But when you dive into that. You will you will find that not one bank has ever been fined by the federal government for banking cannabis. Not one. And there was one bank in Florida uh, that did receive fines, and that's because they had compliance issues, that they weren't doing the paperwork that they were supposed to be doing in the manner that they were supposed to. So there are banks. In New York, a few credit unions, some banks that are banking cannabis now. And the problem with this is, and kudos to them for putting themselves out there. You need to bank this emerging business. If you listen to my hearing, you would hear stories of these cannabis providers who, because they have cannabis as a business and this is where they're getting their income, they can't get a home loan because you can't show where your income is coming from. Um, They have large amounts of cash where I've heard people drilling holes in the floor and in the walls of their home because they can't put it in the bank um, because the banks won't take it. And the banks that do bank cannabis, um, the fees that they charge these Farmers and cultivators and compounders and retailers are very high. And the reason the fees are so high is because if the heavy hand of the federal government does come, you know, they want to make sure that they have the money, you know, to pay for, for to pay for these fees. But these businesses are small businesses. These are not large businesses. So you're talking about uh, an emerging business where a lot of these people, this is a new you know, business, uh, just getting off the, off the ground, and they're paying high fees um, to pay for something that potentially could happen that hasn't happened. And that's why the Safe Banking Act um, that I know Senator Schumer is pushing, that has a lot of momentum now, does have bipartisan support, hopefully can pass in the Senate, if they um, deschedule this class one, you know, narcotic and 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 take that away, this would just open up completely the banking industry for for us to be able to easily bank uh, cannabis
0: in New York. I, I do have a follow up, and this, I'm glad you clarified that because I was under the impression that it was all cash. So that you're giving me. Uh, this idea that there are places, but it's it's very complicated.
2: It is complicated. And if they, you know, it's easy for you to, there are some places, but it is, it's a cash business. This is a cash business. And so there are um, regulations to how much cash you can deposit. And if you are depositing large sums of cash, the examiners, and that's their main job, is to make sure you are not using you know depositing this cash from ill gains you know from from prostitution or human trafficking or drugs and so you have to be able to reconcile every transaction that takes a lot of time that costs a lot of money um it's akin to someone who owns an atm machine let's say and they have a large amount of cash in the atm machine and they want to go deposit that um, they run into some of the same problems. Is you're coming in making large, large deposits? How do we know where all of this large sums of cash are coming from?
1: Well, okay. The uh, the complications around this. Uh, I wanted to be sure that we we clarified that it's still um, uh, not reconciled with the federal government because Correct. there's there's some some confusion out there that 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 it is. And it's that nice. even though a bank is chartered in New York, it still has, we still have to contend with the federal regulation. So the smart act, excuse me, smart banking or safe banking, excuse me, safe banking legislation with uh, Senator Schumer possibly will reconcile this once and for all.
0: Yes. Um, Assembly
1: member Hunter, before we let you go, uh, cause I've asked you a lot of questions. Is there something that's on the horizon or future in banking or any of the other committees that you, that you are a member of that you would like for, for everyone to know about.
2: Um, well, I do sit on the insurance committee, veterans and energy committees as well. And so um, all of them take, you know, a, a good chunk of time. I always like to, you know, make sure that folks know that uh, as an Army veteran myself, that uh, any pieces of legislation that we're putting forward for veterans really, really uh, impact them on a daily you know basis. And I'm proud to have been able to, you know, put forward le- put forward legislation that helps uh, veterans that have been affected by PTSD, um, veterans who've lost their life and um, wanted to make sure that they're buried uh, with distinction. And so you some folks think that how come all of these things aren't happening right now and you know this should be on the federal government to to take care and have responsibility for it. but these folks live in the state of New York not, the, not in the state of the United States and so we want to make sure that they're really, uh, protected. So I'm always proud to be able to bring uh, forward legislation for for our veterans and we'll continue to do whatever we can and make sure uh, 20 veterans pretty much per day take their own life and so that there's a lot of work uh, to be done uh, to help folks and uh, re-engage into civilian life and sometimes that's very difficult and I want to make sure that they're okay. And on the insurance front, um, you know, things are pretty pretty much the same. I had a huge bill this year that I was just like so proud to be able to, to bring over the, the finish line. It was relative to biomarker testing. And if anybody knows someone who has been affected by cancer um, and has been diagnosed with cancer, this is not to test if you have cancer. This is after you've been diagnosed with, you know, cancer or some other disease that uh, your provider could ask for biomarker testing and this is just micro testing to find out you know specifically specifically uh, what um, uh, traits does your cancer have to make sure that they can provide the appropriate um, treatment for your disease and sometimes you know that means that you don't have to have chemotherapy you don't have to have radiation it shouldn't be just for people who have lots of money to be able to get these tests. It's for anybody, including people who are on Medicaid to make sure that people have a great quality of life and aren't, you know, having these bad um, treatments because it's easiest to just always give chemo and radiation. Let's make sure we're giving them the treatment right. That's proper for what their, their actual cancer is. And so breast cancer is different than somebody who has, you know, bladder cancer or somebody who has um, testicular cancer. So wanting to make sure that uh, everyone has provided the same opportunity to get biomarker testing. And we're awaiting the governor uh, to sign that as well. So that was, you know, really exciting to be able to bring that That's forward. Great. In the That's absolutely great. Insurance committee as well.
1: So the biomarker testing uh, legislation, provides funding for that to happen or exactly it, what? It,
2: no it mandates that the insurance companies have to to pay for it pay for
1: it oh thank you yes okay that is huge that is absolutely huge okay all right. and anything else you'd like for us to be aware of
0: well you know um,
1: energy you know what's huh? that energy <laughs> Yeah, so in
0: energy.
2: We have a lot of work to do and a, a, a long way to get to, to where we need to go. And um there's a lot of concerns. You know, we're talking about all electric, we're talking about renewable energy, uh, they were putting a lot of money into transition. And um, this is big. This is very, very big. And in places like where we live, in in, in uh Syracuse, where a lot of the homes are older. There's a lot of concerns that you know people can't afford forty fifty thousand dollars to retrofit their house for geothermal and for all electric and um that's a concern. And so we want to make sure we get it right. We want to make sure that we are absolutely being uh, cognizant of what's going on with climate, that climate change is is real, that we want to make sure that we're being energy efficient, using uh, all renewable resources to the extent that we can. And that takes infrastructure and infrastructure takes a lot of money. Um, but we need to make sure that we get it right and we aren't displacing homeowners and people who can't afford it uh, for infrastructure of the future. We just need to make sure that we're getting it right.
1: Well, before, before we uh, sign off uh, today, I want to make sure that we encourage everyone to like and subscribe and share, like, subscribe, and share this segment because it's packed with Tremendous amounts of information yeah. that I'm sure okay, will clear, uh, based on what you, you've provided for us, uh, will clear up a lot of misconception. Uh, again, thank you, thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us today. And if you have any questions, how should uh, how should your constituents reach out to you, Assembly Member?
2: Well, the easiest way to reach out is to call my office. We're there Monday, Friday, nine to five. They can reach out 315-449-9536. That's my district office in in Syracuse. Uh, They can always reach out to our uh, assembly website and they can send us emails through the assembly website. They can go to New York State Assembly, Google that and look up my name and you can send me an email and we'll get right back to you. And you know, it really has been an honor and privilege to uh, represent the folks in the 128th Assembly District. It's very diverse, rural, suburban, urban in the Onondaga Nation, but uh, we try to make sure that uh, the policies we're bringing forward and the resources we bring back, tens of millions of dollars into the community I've been able to bring uh, back, hopefully is uplifting, you know, the quality of life for the residents in the 128th Assembly District
1: thank you again and uh, I'll, I'll tell everyone if you have any questions of, of me you can reach me at area code 315-930-4499 again like subscribe and share and we'll say our plate is full
0: all right vicky brackens is the president of bracken's financial solutions network llc and a registered representative of lpr financial member sipc thank you to Assemblyman member pam hunter And Vicky is America's money maven.